the Team Builder Playbook, bite-sized, honest, and practical tips and strategies for building and scaling your team as a startup entrepreneur. Hey there, in today's episode, we are going to talk about what it takes to attract an engineer to work for your early stage company. And this episode is for those of you who have product-based companies, say like mobile apps or software-based companies, anything that would require an engineer to come in and actually create part of the product for you. If you have service-based businesses, feel free to listen into this episode and see what you can learn because some of the same principles that apply to attracting an amazing engineer can be applied to attracting an amazing team member in any area of your business. So to prepare for this episode, I conducted a um, big survey among my friends, engineers who I have worked with in Silicon Valley as part of startups, building either consumer or enterprise software and mobile apps. And what I asked them is, I asked them a series of questions. What would it take for you to say yes to working in a startup, to working in an early stage company? What is the math going on in your head about you know, what different pieces are important and what is not so important? So I could equip you, the listeners, in knowing what is it that matters and what is it that doesn't matter when attracting a high-quality engineer. And the results were surprising and not surprising at the same time. They were not obvious, but they totally made sense when I looked at them. So just to give you an overview before I share some of the specifics, there are certain basic requirements that um, an engineer has, just like any human being when they reach a certain stage of their life, especially when they have a family to take them to college. And that really drives a lot of the requirements for, you know, a certain livable salary, some health insurance benefits, also uh, opportunity for salary increase and for cash, additional cash coming in. So the people in that stage of their life are more interested in general on balance, are more interested in cash compensation, security and healthcare benefits than they are in the upside of an early stage project or product. So they would always weigh that uh, more heavily. So if you are starting from scratch and if you're looking, you know, to bring your first couple of developers, you would probably need to look at people who are in a different stage of their life, who are more risk, open to risk and open to opportunities. And for those individuals, what came, uh, what came through was that all the things that startups believe are important are actually not. So things like free food, free drinks, you know, having, um, having kind of food and, 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 and snacks and, and other perks in the office are actually less important than you think. What emerges as the most important factor for people, for engineers in startups, is the degree of ownership and responsibility they feel as part of the project. And it's not so much the technical requirements for their job or what it is that they actually do, but how the entrepreneur or the CEO treats them, how their boss treats them, 
Are they treating them like a partner in the business or are they treating them like a child that needs supervision? Do they trust them to work productively from home or are they very inflexible in requiring them to check in frequently or always come to the office? So when looking to attract the engineers, it's important to understand that, yes, you know, you need to pay them, you need to pay them a certain minimum livable salary. And from what I'm gathering, that could be, obviously, that could be different depending on where the person lives. And as far as the equity opportunity goes, it is important, but even more important than the equity piece or the ability to participate in the upside of the business is that that treatment, that culture piece. This was surprising for me because I had spent um, a decade in Silicon Valley at the time where equity is very highly valued and has always been a big component of my own compensation and my own wealth building. So it was surprising for me to find that being replaced by the culture piece as the driving factor of decision for people. And at the same time, it's not surprising because in recent years, a lot of startups have been promising huge returns on their equity um, only to not have that happen. And so by and large, I'm seeing tech workers in Silicon Valley getting disillusioned and discounting the value of the equity that super early stage startups offer because of the track record of how many of those startups have actually gotten to a point of delivering huge returns to their early employees. There's another part of that game that is happening, which will probably be a subject of another episode, which is the ability of people to value their equity um, as a as a form of compensation um, and how that is different for founders and entrepreneurs versus um, even employee number one or or two. So without further ado, I would love to introduce you to one of my former colleagues and friends. Um, her name is Kelly, and she is an amazing software engineer. I've worked with her in a couple of the companies in my past, and uh, I had the chance to sit down with her over a Zoom call and ask her, ask her the question of what would take for her to join an early stage startup, an early stage company. Listen in. And because I didn't originally mean for this to be a full-blown interview, the recording starts midway through my conversation with Kelly. So listen in and let me know what you hear. It is very interesting. Okay, so you were saying you don't want, what was it? I don't want, I don't want these like pie in the sky promises, right? Like, maybe that's fine for marketing. I, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's just the game when you're pitching to VCs. Like I get it. We all kind of get it. It's a game. There's a lot of theatrics that go into that. It's, it's a political game. We understand that. But when it comes to dealing with your employees, and I would say in particular your engineers who uh, often have a lot of options, I really think that sort of having a grounded, realistic, transparent, like plan and communication is really, really important. And I do think that like, like I was saying, that will help you retain some of your more mature employees, maybe some of your more senior people, people that have been doing this for a while and sort of understand the political aspect to it. Don't play the politics too, like need to actually make 
informed decisions about their own lives and their own careers and where they fit in in the company, whether or not that company is a good fit for their own goals, for their own careers. And I think, I think that, you know, if you practice that type of honesty and that type of transparency, yeah, you might lose some people when things start to sour, but do you, you know, do you want to retain people through deception and through smoke and mirrors? Like that doesn't, I don't think that that's a good strategy. I think that you want to give people as much information as you reasonably can. And if those people decide to hang around, there's not going to be any really nasty surprises. And you've found people that are sort of committed to whatever it is that you're doing and they're there to see it through. And I think that that's a much healthier relationship than one where you're telling people, oh, everything's great. And then a month later, you know, they walk in and half of their colleagues have been laid off and I've been through that experience now a few times where, you know, when you sit down in all hands, oh, it's great, it's great, it's great. And then, oh, wait, no, we're barely, you know, we're not solvent. And now we're having to fundamentally gut not only personnel, but we're changing the culture along with it. And, you know, that's a really big, that's a really good recipe for losing a lot more people. And I've seen it now multiple times. You, you know, if you pull the rug out from underneath people, especially people that have options, which most tech workers, not just engineers, but certainly product people, you know, salespeople, honestly, you know, really solid CS people, um, you know, there's a lot of work out there to be had. And there's a lot of companies that would really love to scoop up the, you know, the talent from a, you know, a startup that's, you know, spinning the drain. So, I mean, I think retention is difficult as it is. And then on top of it, um, if you're behaving in a deceitful way, even if it's out of fear or self-defense, which I, I, I truly like, I don't think that a lot of these play, I don't think a lot of like the E teams of these companies are trying to be deceptive. I, I really don't. I, I'm not ascribing malice here in, in the majority of situations. I, I understand that it's, uh, it's a self-defense mechanism. It's, you know, it's a defensive move, but I think it's, it's completely wrongheaded. Yeah. Thank you. Well, most of the people listening to this podcast are entrepreneurs or business owners or early stage company builders. Mm-hmm. Let's say they're starting to think about bringing on, especially technical talent engineers full time. Now you're to somebody like you and they say, wow, this is an amazing opportunity. What is the math that runs through your head? What are you considering? What are you evaluating? And how are you making that decision? Actually wrote some notes. So I'm going to pull those up. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's obviously when, when it comes to startups, obviously, you know, there's sort of like the baseline, uh, the problem space is interesting and there's high growth potential. I think the most people that are interested in working for startups are these sort of baseline interested in that, but that doesn't, I, I think a lot of times like the recruitment emails and stuff that I get for these, especially very early stage, no name startups, right. Companies that have not made a name for themselves in any meaningful way. Um, you know, they'll just be like, we have this really interesting problem and we're going to disrupt this industry. And I'm like, okay, well, everybody says that. Um, so what makes you different or special here? Um, so the things that I look for, and I look for this in the interview, I look for this in my initial communications with the company. If they're giving me like the, the whole like 
here's our, you know, basically here's a modified version of our VC pitch deck. That's going to raise some red flags with me uh, for the reasons that we just discussed, because everybody claims that they're going to be the next, you know, unicorn uh, and that they're going to completely disrupt whatever industry they happen to be in. And very few of them actually do. Right. So transparency. uh, So when I'm, when I'm talking to, you know, when I'm actually on the phone with the VP of engineering or engineering director, or even the recruiter, um, recruiters often don't have the same kind of leeway, but depends on the company. I am looking for the real, I guess, in there. I'm looking for like, hey, what are your challenges? What's sort of your forecast? Like what's, what's sort of the realistic, uh, like look at the future? And that's a really big, that's a really big sort of litmus test for me. If they tell me that they're going to reinvent everything and everything's going to go really, really well and we're all going to walk away fabulously rich, that's a huge red flag. Um, because it's it's almost certainly not true. And the person who's saying it might believe it, but that to me indicates sort of a lack of groundedness and possibly experience. Um, so other things I look at, you know, the reason that people join early stage uh, companies, early stage startups versus more mature startups or, um, you know, publicly traded, you know, publicly traded companies is often they, they are looking for a high degree of ownership. So I'll also look at when I'm in conversation about the sort of role I'd be in and the kind of work I'd be doing, I do sort of look for like, Hey, how is it that me joining this company is going to make an impact? So, you know, if they already have ideas in mind for places that they'd like me to work, that to me indicates like they're a lot more interested in um, me personally than just getting somebody with my title in the seat. That's, And I think like early stage startups sort of have that ability. Like if you're Facebook or you're Google or whatever, you're just going to get hired as a software engineer and they're going to plug you wherever it is. And you kind of recognize that unless you have like some really, really, really like fantastic specialty that very few people have. um, You're not likely to be like, you're not likely to be hired for a really specific purpose. Right. So you were, you were starting to say what, what is it, what is the math that you look at? Right, 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 right. whether to join a super duper early startup. Yes. Okay. So like I was saying, um, all startups at a certain phase are effectively the same. It's a lot of promise. It's, it's, you know, there's not any real reality to it. Right. Um, so, you know, when I look to join, especially an earlier stage startup, I am looking to see where I personally can make an impact and why they personally are sort of invested in my success as a candidate. So like I was saying, you know, you go to a Facebook, you go to a Google, you go to, you know, a Salesforce, you're just kind of rank and file, right? And you're, you're expecting that. You're expecting that you're going to get plugged wherever they need people. And, you know, you're going to have the, the sweet big company benefits and that sort of thing. And that's sort of what, you know, potentially you value. But if you're joining a startup, you know, you're not getting the big company benefits. So, you know, it's, it's better from my experience when, there is a specific role they have in mind based on what they've seen from my background and that they are excited to have me personally or somebody who fits my general profile personally to come in and actually have ownership over some part of um, the product, right? Or some part of, uh, you know, a specific team, that sort of thing. So ownership is a really big deal. Um, So a couple other things uh, that I actually wrote down here. I try to get at essentially how they have built their culture. 
culture is something that, especially in the early days, definitely comes from the top. Um, and you need, you know, as a founder or as a very, very, very early employee, I've never been like employee number three, employee number four, but you know, as somebody who would maybe join at a very early stage, like I would be looking to see that um, culture is being emphasized. So, I mean, that would include things like, hey, we really try to avoid things like crunch. We really, I mean, crunch is inevitable sometimes and I'm more than happy to participate when there's, you know, a deadline and it's sort of this team effort, but Routine crunch is not healthy, and it's, in my opinion, like a sign of, of not valuing your people. Uh, caring about diversity from day one, right? Caring that the people that you're sitting with uh, are coming from, you know, very, very different perspectives, backgrounds, that sort of thing. Um, things, uh, yeah, things like work-life balance, things like we're, you know, we're in this together, but we're not going to kill ourselves, or we're not going to expect you to kill yourself in order to like make our dreams successful, essentially, right? Like culture from day one and meaningful culture. I don't mean like free drinks. Everybody has free drinks. Like that's not, that, that shouldn't even be listed as a perk anymore, truthfully. You know, things like meaningful equity, that can mean a lot of things though. In early stage, it's kind of questionable, right? But like that also sort of factors into transparency and ownership. It's sort of like, well, if we bring you on, we do actually want you to have real investment and real skin in the game. And we are going to give you um, the ability to be that level of invested and that level, like, you know, really have that, that like, again, ownership, right? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, general like trust. If I'm joining a company, I expect to be treated like an adult. I expect it to be treated like a professional. I think it's a little easier to do this at early stage startups than, large companies that have a lot of corporate process in place. Uh, but if I am approaching a company and it seems like they've already kind of taken this corporate reactive posture uh, when it comes to the way that they relate to employees, especially ICs, that's a big red flag for me as well. Um, if I'm going to join a small, a small company, I expect that they are going to trust me to do my job. So, you know, if I need to work from home one day because I have something life going on, I expect that they're still going to trust me that I'm going to work that day. I'm going to, you know, put in those hours that I'm not just sitting at home on my butt watching television or whatever. Uh, and, and sort of on the topic of process. Um, yeah. If you've adopted a lot of process really early, that worries me because that, basically tells me, A, yeah, you may not trust your employees, but B, you don't really trust yourself. What do you um, mean by process? So let me think of some like good concrete. I, I Process to me just sort of refers to this rather amorphous set of like rules, really. Let's say things like, um, let's say things like, you know, strict adherence to scrum or whatever. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of having a lot of really strict company structure around the way that people work, um, especially early on. I think flexibility and the ability to be adaptive and to sort of serve the, the, the needs of the team like very, very quickly because you, you can do that is really cool. I think that like, you know, strict adherence to any particular 
mandate, right? Like strict adherence. Like, like if you imagine working for a massive corporation, they're going to have really strict rules for the way in which things happen, whether that's the way you work, you know, um, the way that you move tickets, you know, when you're allowed to do X, Y, Z, those kinds of things. Again, that might make sense if you're a massive corporation with thousands of employees and there needs to be some consistency across the way that those employees work and are expected to work together. Where I get nervous is when you're small and you're trying to do some version of that. One, I think it adds a lot of overhead. I think it, it ends up costing a lot of time that you simply don't have when you're an early stage startup. But two, I do think that it does tend to like indicate a general lack of trust. If you're sitting in a room with, you know, five other people, because that's like the size of your company, like, do you really need to have like strict rules around, you know, how communi- how company communications happen or how, how um, things get done? Mm-hmm. yeah, how sprint planning happens? Like, no, you really don't need to do that. You can add that stuff as you go. Like, like, uh, so a certain company that we both are familiar with went through sort of the process of developing engineering process as we were growing. And it got to a point where, yeah, we were at a size where we needed to start having certain, certain ways in which teams work together and communicated and, and that sort of thing, because we were, we were beyond the size where we all had visibility into each other's work. Right. So having rules around say how pull requests happen, having rules around testing, having rules around, I'm just talking about engineering process. There's, you know, obviously all departments have process. It got to the point where that was, that was a reasonable and important thing to do to sort of ensure our success and ensure that there was transparency across the organization. Because if you let people kind of go over in their little teams and silo, you may never actually see what they're doing. And then, you know, you, you might end up running afoul of it's at some point, because you just don't have that visibility. Like you don't have that ability to sort of know what they're even up to. And we had several examples of this, um, you know, fairly early on where there's sort of those growing pains. I'm not saying that like process is bad, but I am saying that like, if you sort of prematurely have a lot of it um, and you're real early, I I do think that that is a, that tends to be a red flag. I think that early stage startups should try to be as flexible as possible because honestly, I think by, by very definition, you're experimenting, Mm -hmm. you know, you're experimenting, you're figuring out what works for you and what works for you is going to be very much contingent on the group of people that you have and what sort of the needs of those people ultimately are. What I'm hearing you say is that you want to be treated like a real human being, like an adult. You would like to have a relationship with the company as opposed to be a cog in the wheel. Yeah. And I think that that's probably a fairly, not to speak for other people, but I would imagine that that is a, that's a commonality with people that tend towards startups. If you're the sort of person that doesn't want to go to Google or whatever, you know, that that's a very it's a different it's a very different mindset, right? Like working at a, working at a very large company is a very different experience than working at a very small one. So if you're the type that likes to take the risk on the very small one, one you may just have a higher tolerance for risk. But two, I do tend to think that um, a lot of what drives those kinds of decisions is just the sort of environment that you prefer to work in. Now that you've heard what Kelly has to say, what are you taking away from this? How are you changing the way that you talk to potential candidates for your technical jobs? And how are you changing the way that you view 
engineers and attracting them to work at your startup. Please subscribe to this podcast and I will see you in the next episode.